What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. for February 24th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You just click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Mike Spears, joined alongside, as always, my co-host, Case Slow. And Case, what an insane, like, last 48 hours we've gone through. <laughs> it feels like that the world, at least, like, the wrestling world has just been, in Japan, has just really have had, like, a come-to-Jesus moment that I've kind of been talking about for a long time, at least, as it pertains to some promotions. I can only speak to my Twitter feed, but it has been a vintage week of people posting through it. And quite frankly, I have missed it. We are seeing takes so hot and so heavy from so many people. 
in a way that feels very akin to a 2015-2016 wrestling timeline. And I enjoyed the quiet, calm nature of Dragon Kids Cats. It's Asumi Yokosuka going to the Dragon Gate Dojo. That is primarily what trickles through my feed now. But Pro Wrestling Noah does something dumb. And boy, oh boy, are there takes, it takes, it takes. And I, I have greatly enjoyed this week. You know... For me, as much as like you, you had the the tweet saying they ran this title match in the Goya Dragon Gate did a higher attendance on a house show with a kid who was twenty two and someone who was a who was a career long mid carder. That was kind of like the big thing there. But for me, like my biggest like takeaway is how long have we pointed out what Nosawaism is? Like this was going to happen. It was going to happen in this exact way. I know that. Voices of Wrestling flagship Patreon has some uh, has some reporting about it. And does any of that? Uh, we're both big students in the Saoism here. Like we've talked <laughs> all about the Tokyo Carnivals and Tokyo Dreams. Does any of this surprise you whatsoever, or has any of it been contrary to anything we've said about the Japanese wrestling landscape as it pertains to pro wrestling, Noah? Any surprises no, here, case? I, I really have to tip my hat to you because. You have a lot of heavy-handed takes. You're going to drop one on this podcast in just a little bit where I'm not totally on board with that line of thinking, but if you're right, you're going to look very, very smart for it. The Noah thing you have nailed from day one. This is his MO. He likes old guys that he was a fan of as a kid, and he's going to push those guys no matter what, and we're seeing a constant decline in the Noah business, the longer this goes. And the backlash to this Noah show this past week is as strong as anything I've seen, at least again from my bubble, since the beginning of that evil run in New Japan in the summer of 2020. What I correctly, mind you, as I wrote in the Voices of Wrestling ebook, what I correctly said, okay, we're done with the golden era of New Japan. Whatever this is, is a different philosophy. It's different from 2012 through January 5th of 2020. Let's wash our hands of this promotion. Let's only check in on the big stuff going forward because whatever this evil thing is, is contaminating the rest of this roster. And what we've seen over time, we've always said, or at least I've always said, because Mike is a little more checked out of Noah because he's a smart man. I've always said, I love the talent on the juniors roster. I hate the way the juniors are booked. I love a lot of the main eventers. I hate the way the main eventers are booked. The mid card is a wasteland. I'm not going to touch it. Let me check out this hype stuff from Noah. And it's amazing how seemingly every time they really start to gain some momentum, they do something dumb, like have Kaz Fujita beat Katsuhika Nakajima, and they really shoot themselves in the foot over it. And I guess, like, just expanding out on, like, the overall, like, Nosawa and the Cyber Agent Gambit is that it very clearly was to me, like, oh, Nosawa likes booking uh, veterans. He likes booking legends. He's done it for however long he's run the Tokyo Carnival, the uh, Tokyo Gurantai Produce shows. He brings in people, and they win. He brings in Mil Mascaris, who's 78 years old, and Mil Mascaris goes over. He brings in Dory Funk Jr. He brings in these guys, and they win. So there shouldn't be a surprise that he wants to bring in these legends and people like uh, Ironhead Fujita and Keiji Muto are just going to say that doesn't work for me, brother. I'm not. I am not losing to Kitsugunomiya. I will only lose to Takashi Sugiera. But the thing about this was, and we we've been talking about this for a while when we talk about the overall Japanese wrestling landscape is 
it was all right for about six to nine months because that was at peak COVID. No one was really running very many shows that would have more than like 500 people in the crowd regardless. But they had this avenue with a beam of TV with a cyber fight that they were going to attempt to get lapsed fans. You know, the 50 year olds that grew up watching like 90s New Japan and saw the Three Musketeers and these names and the Inoki MMA and Fascination and that they would use the service. But the problem is, and this is the thing that like the data has borne out over the last two months, really starting from their Budokan showcase, is people will love to like watch, be reminded of this, be reminded of these heroes of yesteryear, but they're not going to shell out money to go see them now. Like It's a low investment thing. There's low stakes to turn on a stream, as we've seen a lot throughout wrestling. This is not just in Japan. But when you ask them, unless there's like a special emotional attachment that you see with like the Rock and Roll Express around my parts, Rock and Roll Express case, they run anywhere in the Carolinas, you will get 500 people there at minimum. But people don't want to go do that for Pro Wrestling Noah. They don't want to see Muto with uh, now uh, generated hips because he got his knees replaced and now his hips have all the stress there. They don't want to see Fujita. They don't want to see the younger roster members get beat up by these old men because they can watch them on stream and that's the amount of commitment they're willing to do. And that's the downfall of Nassauism. It was always going to end up this way. I forget who made it, but in the Voices of Wrestling Slack, somebody made a very good comparison about Kiyomiya to Okada in 2012. And and while I'm sure Okada would have become a star anyways, in the same way that Kiyomiya, to whatever degree he will become a star, will be a top guy, Noah is doing the equivalent of if Okada came in and he, let's say he still beats Tanahashi February 12th, 2012, but then he loses to Nagata and he loses to Tenzan and he loses to Nakanishi. And it's, oh, this is how Japan does things. This is the industry there. They're going to beat him to build him back up when instead they just had Okada be a world beater. And now you see 10 years later, they are still bearing the fruits of that push. It's the same thing that Drangate's doing, and unfortunately, we're marred by COVID restrictions, so we can't see the full impact of it. But like we said at the beginning of the show, December 19th, 2021, SB Kento versus UT in Nagoya for the Open the Brave Gate title just outdrew that Noah show. Yes, by less than 100 fans, but when you're promoting it as a house show in a market that you ran to death at the end of 2020 and a lot in 2021 compared to a hyped Noah match uh, with your biggest active star in Katsuhiko Nakajima and one of these retired legends that you've brought back essentially from the dead in Fujita for your biggest title, it is a very bad look to get outdrawn by Dragon Gate. And it's because Dragon Gate saw something special with SB Kento. And they said, we're going to have this guy beat Dragon Kid and kill the Toriyaman generation and protect him in these big spots. They've handled him like he's a big deal. And Noah, unless you're coming from the 80s or 90s or, you know, God forbid, again, God forbid we get mascaras in the country. Then it'll be mascaras beating people, uh, a, a star from the 70s beating people of today. You're not looked at as a star in Noah. And something that we're seeing, you know, especially after the generational warfare in Drangate is, hey, if you're from the Toriyaman generation, you better move out of the way. This is not Naruki Doi's unit. This is Kota Minoru's unit. Drangate is constantly building towards the future. Pro Wrestling Noah is not. 
And that concerns me over something that we were talking about earlier this week. I think we were talking about it before the, the Fujita thing even happened. It was just a conversation that came up between the two of us talking about the state of pro wrestling in Japan. And obviously we're not in Japan. There's going to be people that might be a little more qualified to talk about this than us. But I found it very interesting at the start of the year when Japan announced they were rolling back some restrictions and you're either going to be able to run, you know, half capacity with you know, crowds that can make noise or full capacity with a clap crowd still. And Jay on Twitter had what I thought was a very realistic thread about the dangers that the pro wrestling industry in Japan is going to face going forward, where we're now existing into two years of COVID restrictions. And we're dealing with, you know, yes, no one GDT have these strong financial backings, but to my knowledge, and again, this is mainly Noah, but I don't think I've missed any major DDT growth during COVID-19. We're dealing with two promotions here who have major backings, but are not showing signs of growth. New Japan is undoubtedly the number one powerhouse in this country, but I tend to think, and we'll see what happens. We'll check back in in six months, but I tend to think they're on the decline a little bit. We have Stardom, a nice little company. This is not the week to do the Stardom discussion, but by no means are they a force of nature in this industry. They're a company with a giant backing who appears to, you know, have a, a, a nice core roster full of talented women. I wish them the best, but they are not a powerhouse in the industry by any means. And you have this independent in Dragon Gate, who is the number two, but number two in a dying industry is still a company that, you know, has to fight to some degree to keep its head above water. Yeah, that just reminds me, and to just we you bring up the number two thing. I remember when Pac first won the Dreamgate, and this was an uh, th this issue might have been in 2019, but there was this ep there was this issue of Shoe Pro. Dragon Gate gets poorly treated by the mainstream periodicals in wrestling in Japan because they don't run Tokyo and don't have conglomerate backing, but it's neither here nor there. And they have a, they had a picture of Pac with the Dreamgate on the cover. And the quote, and it stuck with me, was, why be the number two when you could be the only one? Mm. And that really resonated with me. And that's kind of like Dragon Gate goes its own path. And we kind of saw that this weekend. You, you brought up the idea of the youth at the forefront. When we get into Memorial Gate, Naruki Doi, yes, was in, was in a match third from the top. But he was not featured in it really that heavily. Whereas the semi main event and main event all had wrestlers under the age of 30. All had people that, with the exception of Eita, debuted after 2014. Really puts things in stark comparison there. If you ask no, me. what 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 they're doing is insane. The the youth they have and the trust they have in them, and the fact that they're able to do what they do and still draw respectable houses given the restrictions. Now Memorial Gate in Wakayama was down this year, way down compared to last year. And I'll talk about why that is because this was a very strange Memorial Gate this year, but. All in all, we've seen them consistently draw in Corican throughout this time. We've seen them grow their COVID-restricted attendance in Nagoya, in Osaka, in Kobe. I am so oh, I am so excited for Champion Gate. I am so curious to see, especially night two, but both of these nights, what they do with their attendance. Because it is, I think those are loaded shows. Those are really big title matches, and it's all youth. So if we're led to believe that Minora and SB Kento and Hyo together, and I will even lump Shimizu into that because I would say he's a young main eventer compared to the rest of what the uh, the promotions in this country have to offer. 
if these guys are the stars that we think they are, they are primed for a big weekend champion gate in Osaka. So I, a lot of what we've seen over the past year, laying the groundwork for the future, these guys that we talk about being the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years, they have a shot to look really good that first weekend of March. Or if those numbers aren't what they were last year with Skywalker versus Ashida in the main event, that's going to be looked at as a disappointment to me. Yeah, and then you also have the aspect of Kai as still the outsider champion. Well, there's a lot of interesting kind of variables going on here, if you ask me. <laughs> well, because you have that, you have like the fact that really, like like referring to that pack cover, we're talking about promotion that did that full reset in 2018, and now we are approaching year four of that full reset. And you, you know, when, when we get a chance to talk about our last topic for the day, it, it, it's something kind of seeing like a compare and contrast there in a lot of different ways because this very much feels like a just drastically different promotion than it where it was on May 6, 2018. And I feel like Champion Gate, in a lot of ways, kind of is putting these changes at a forefront when the only uh, Torimon generation guy who is in a title match at Champion Gate will be Naruki Doi. You know, it's Doi is, and Doi is specifically emphasized as the other guy in that unit. The focus is on Minora and Ishida, which I love. I mean, the philosophy of Dragon Gate, and I've talked about this on this show before I talked about this once with Aaron Bentley on an everything elite Patreon show. And I don't remember which specifically it was. I said this and Aaron did call me a communist, which I'm going to disregard for now, but there is a, the, the way that Drangate is structured as a company with, you know, the champion helping set up the ring and the top guys, you know, doing merchandise and, and uh, you know, again, you know, leading the dojo, doing what they do, a co-op in the literal sense, it's a co-op. I love the way this company is structured from that perspective, but in terms of just doing their own thing, why be number two when you can be your own number one is something that I think is severely lacking, especially in the Japanese wrestling landscape, because if you go back 20 years, Noah had a distinct flavor and all Japan had a distinct flavor. And you obviously had big Japan and Michinoku pro and Osaka pro and the new Japan was its own thing. And part of my discontent with a lot of the promotions outside of Drangate, which again is on its own island doing its own thing, is I feel like no one, All Japan and DDT, in so many ways are just presenting themselves like New Japan light. And at no point over the last decade have I felt like Drangate is veering into doing a lesser version of New Japan. If anything, New Japan has taken what Drangate has done so well of promoting young, attractive men to a uh, excited female demographic. They have taken that to a point that now Drangate is using it in an angle where Doi is saying we have to be sure that we are the number one promotion for females in this country. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about like the co-op thing. Uh, well, the fact that the main eventers at Wakayama immediately went and hit the... Uh, the merch table right afterwards that is dragon gate at its core right there it is just what what's better than seeing the, the guys you wanted to watch in a match well you can immediately go and you can buy their t-shirt they'll sign your t-shirt for you i don't know if they're back to doing photos again like that they were going to but then omnicron happened and it's just i, th I think i think they're back to doing photos with like the windscreen dividing the wrestler and the okay. fan i could i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure those are back apologies if i'm incorrect but yeah so i mean like that's just like an ethos that you know 
you don't have in other promotions other than like your micro indies in a lot of ways. Like when, uh, just not to completely verge onto like another completely distinct topic, it, it's like the idea of ticket sellers in Japan. Uh, Ryan Fujita or Fujiwara put out a blog that was talked about mostly for some actions of an OO wrestler, but something that like what we took away from it was just like it was operated more like a co-op than that everyone had to sell tickets. You were supposed to sell so many tickets here. You got to cut the ticket sales. And that is something that within like the top tier of Japanese wrestling does not exist anymore. And Dragon Gate still has that spirit. They don't do ticket sales from like the roster members really, but like that the, there still is that blood that runs through it that I think is kind of, I, I wouldn't say absent. It's just like that we, you don't have to do that when you have when you have a Bima TV or Bushi Road behind you. Yeah, I guess the the moral of the point I was trying to make is not to dissect Noah booking, although boy, that could be a podcast. But to reemphasize that point that even if let's let's assume that Japan is going to come out of Omicron and. You know, I, I don't know how it is in South Carolina, Mike, but as of the the next Monday when this is released, Chicago's dropping their mask mandate and their vaccine mandate. They are not necessarily looking at the numbers and going, hey, we're good to go now. They are going, we're sick of COVID and we're just going to pretend it's not here, which most of the country has done already. But for Chicago to do it is is pretty jarring. Let's say by summer, Japan is somewhat back to air quotes normal. The point of this is to say, hey. There's a lot of red flags in the industry right now. Things are looking really rough when you, again, I, you know, you have no one DDT that are propped up by a giant corporation. So they're going to be fine because Noah could have gone out of business two or three years ago without CyberAgent. There's a reason that acquisition was made. You have New Japan and Stardom who will see if they grow. They have giant financial backing. But outside of New Japan and Stardom, the only promotion that I feel comfortable about their health and their long-term prosperity is Drangate, and that's not because I cover them on this podcast. That's because they've shown over the last four or five years that they have a five-year plan, that they have a 10-year plan, and I just don't believe that from any other promotion, which is incredibly troubling when I, as I will continue to reiterate, the industry is already in bad shape in that country. Yeah, and just to further underline your point, Dragon Gate had to do this because Dragon Gate not having the backing and knowing the fact that their roster, that their core roster that's been around for over 22 years is aging and we've, we're starting to see retirements. They knew that they would have to like prepare the, the crowd for the next generation because they didn't prepare the crowd for the next generation. That's it. That's game over. So Dragon Gate had to be forward thinking. And the fact that they are forward thinking should not necessarily be like, oh, Dragon Gate is <laughs> completely above and beyond. Dragon Gate just knows the conditions here. Whereas it seems like, that you look at other promotions and they don't they have the training wheels in a way dragon gate can fall off the bike at any time and they know that they couldn't yeah i mean look this promotion could very easily headline champion gate with yamato versus naruki doi and then you know they could move on from there that's the very easy thing to do but what does that get you in three years when yamato can't go at that level anymore and doi finally retires you know they they have an idea. It's why I know you want to do this at the end of the show. I would like to talk about Gleet right now because we both have Gleet takes that are tangent, t- tan- 
I'm not going to use that word. Uh, they are loosely related to the dragon system. So I would like to talk about Gleet if that's okay with you. Sure. Because I know, I know you have a lot to say on this promotion. Yeah, so Gleet crowned their first champion, the G-Rex champion. It is Dragon System member El Lindemann. It's his uh, biggest title win of his career, I would say. And it came off of a Cork and Hall crowd that I don't have the exact attendance in front of me. But it was with the way that they run and with that, it was, I, I think it's fair to say, a disappointing corking crowd i would say i mean it was under 500 i know that it was 462 fans which just for comparison's sake uh the last time that drangate ran cork and hall just again this is not a this is just a merely put things in perspective they ran cork and hall on february 4th and drew 662 fans and we talked about that as being a little bit of a disappointment compared to the numbers they were doing at the end of 2021 Right, yeah. So, and with OWE where it is, uh, just uh, the uh, not existent. Yeah, I was gonna say one sentence thing. Just treat it like it's a dead entity. I, I mean, for everyone, it, it, unless you are a big Captain Aben fan, it's dead. You know, or or oh god, I'm trying to remember what her name, what his name is, Scorpion X Double and Gao Xinxia. I miss Gao Xinxia. That guy had something. Oh, my God. Uh, again, you... Oh, God, those kids were so good. I, it's, yeah. It's really... I, I look forward to, you know, whoever comes after us, the, the Drangate podcast, or probably it's the Drangate NFT that comes 15 to 20 years from now, that's going through the OWE split as their Patreon series, and they're going to come across that match in Kyoto that was, you know, Shima, Scorpio, T-Hawk, and Gao Jingja. And they're going to go, wait, what the fuck is this? Who are these kids doing moves that we've never seen before? What happened to these guys? It's like, well, they worked at Wrestle 1 for a second, and then they kind of went away forever. And that's the end of their story. Yeah, uh, 15 years from now, I will be appearing on Between the Sheets talking about May 6, 2018, <laughs> basically. I, I would love to hear that. But yeah, so Gleet had, it was called g pro wrestling version 18 uh, they put it up on youtube they put all their shows up on youtube uh l lindeman had a standout performance uh honestly the best match I, i've seen out of anyone in the dragon system this week was the opener they had uh l lindeman defeated t-hawk and then l lindeman defeated hayato tamura to become the first g rex champion and on a show that had I mean, Shima was in a tag team, was in an Atomico's against Kazuma Sakamoto, but teaming with Kikataro on the show. We had Shigehiro Irie and Issei Onisuka versus Rising Hayato of All Japan and Hime Pro and Atsuki Aoki Aoyagi. Just, I, I, I'm trying to think of like how I want to say what I want to say, case because well, well, you know. Well, let me let, let's let's build up that. Let me. Yeah. If you do, you have thoughts on the match of Lindemann versus Tiok because you said it was the best thing to happen in the Dragon System this week. I would go as far to say, and I've watched this match twice now. Other than AC Mac versus Alex Shelley and Action Wrestling, this is the best match I've seen this year. Was Lindemann versus T-Hawk. I liked the second uh, Danielson versus uh, Page match more. To be honest, that was this year, wasn't it? Okay, I liked other than Alex Shelley versus AC Mack and Danielson versus Hangman Adam Page. I liked Lindemann versus T Hawk the best out of anything I've seen this year. I think I have like one four and a half star Dragon Gate match, but I would put this up there. That like my big thing, and I didn't really take notes on this. I just sat down and watched and kind of just ingested 
gleet this afternoon because <laughs> you have you seen any gleet before this you've avoided yeah. it uh it, it's something where and i guess i talk about my overall thing about gleet with the exception of strong hearts gleet does nothing for me <laughs> it's just like uh ledet uwf i respect the style i do like that style when it's done very well it just is not something I'm going to take my time and watch, to be honest. A, a lot of the people on the show with this episode, Stronghearts people, you could just see the difference in my mind, with the exception of like the Legends or like Chasma, you know. But like, it's just is something that like I like when I I stepped away and watched the show. I'm like, there are some things about Gleet that I think are really kind of cool, and they do things in a way, and they and, and they have an angle they're going for that it's going to be interesting to see it all play out. But it does seem like that this is a promotion that's going to be here for a fun time and not a long time. Like, that was, like, my big takeaway for just watching this entire show. Like, like compare and contrast this case with, like, Russell 1, and that's kind of how I felt about watching this. I, I am so curious to see if Gleet... Let, let's say Japan gets out of this COVID debacle, what they look like with no restrictions because I cannot for the life of me place where they fit into this ecosystem. I really have no idea because they have a lot of guys that I like. You obviously have the strong hearts. I really like Soma Watanabe. And every time I watch him, I wish they would do more with him. He was under a mask in Russell one, which I don't understand because he's a really handsome looking guy with a great body. I wish they would push him more. I like Hayato Tamora. I really like, I believe the kid with the kind of fringy boots is Nobuhiro Shimatani. And I think he's Formerly very, DDT, right? Oh, oh no, not don't quiz me on the DDT roster when I'm not prepared for it. Let me, I, I thought he was a member of damnation. Let me double check here real quick. Cause I have the cage match pulled up and he was, he is still a member of DDT. He wrestles there on the Gambari pro shows, but let me see if you work DDT main roster yes he good call mike he was a member of damnation i would not have got that if this was five-star mash game <laughs> I, I i really like a lot of their roster i like their presentation i like the fact as somebody that you know still for all of his faults is a ginormous fan of shima and what he brings to the table i like that there are things in this promotion that are now really absent from current dragon gate that are vi we can now see what was a Shima idea and what was a uh, other Dragon Gates idea. Shima very clearly has his fingerprints all over this promotion, and I really like that. I like that style of wrestling, but they have never uh, popped a number, even with COVID restrictions, that has been all that impressive to me. Outside of their New Japan partnership, they seem to have no relevance in the Japanese wrestling world. I... I enjoy their shows in a vacuum. And now that Lindemann's champion, I'm going to go out of my way to watch everything that Lindemann does. But I watch a lot of their big shows. I go, this was fun. I'll see you guys in a few months when you guys have another big show. And I just, I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't understand their place in the ecosystem, but you seem to have a pretty good idea of it. Yeah, it, it's something that with like Ledet, like Ledet had success before owning Pro Wrestling Noah. They did the produce shows for uh choshu and uh kobashi yeah they did the fortune dream shows so like they had the experience with that and you could see that there 
but it also is something that you look at the attendance numbers and the fact that you have a promotion of Shima and and Shima seen as such like a uh, cornerstone of what was Dragon Gate up until 2018, and the fact that you know Shima second from the top, and you have T Hawk and Lindemann only drawing 460 in Cork and Hall. That's bad. Like that's like outright bad there, and it just does not seem like it's going to exist for a long time. It seems like they have a lot of money invested in it, which I know that there was like a Twitter kerfuffle about saying where that money is from. I do not care to get into that. It that is a legitimate company. But it seems like it runs through money very, very quickly. I mean, they had Kenta Kabashi on this show. Kenta Kabashi has a lot of better things to do in life without a pay. If you're not going to pay him, than to show up at a Cork and Hall show that has only 500 people in it doing YouTube commentary. You know, you're saying Kenta Kabashi has better things to do than tower over L. Lindemann after he's crowned world heavyweight champion. L. Lindemann was so good, like his reactions there, like God. He, he, he has such a command of presence going like, wait, what's going on here? How is this happening? Like, just like befuddled and just could not believe that he both won this title and then was like being congratulated by one of the 10 best wrestlers of all time, Kenta Kobashi. Yeah, that's more so than the questionable money that might be behind Gleet or their bizarre vacuum-like identity that they've, you know, put forth since their first show. I do think it's worth talking about Al Lindemann for a minute. Again, I loved, loved, loved the match with T-Hawk. I thought the finals with Hiato Tamora, that was a four-star match for me as well. So Lindemann has two notebook matches in one night. He is not the greatest what-if in Dragon System history because by the time he left the promotion, and maybe this is a hot take, maybe you don't agree, but by the time he left the promotion, I felt like we had seen his ceiling. We knew what he was going to be, which was lower mid-card, mid-card, kind of comedy fodder. I don't think he fit in as a heel with Berserk and Antios very well. And I don't think he, while he's incredibly talented, he doesn't have that underdog, Jackie, funky, Kamei-like babyface charisma, or at least I, I well, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm not going to go as far to say that. I will say by the time Lindemann left, for as sad as it was that he was leaving, I was okay with him leaving because I was not happy with his current state uh, in, in Dragon Gate. And I'm very, very happy to see him doing what he's doing now. Yeah, it, it, it was also at a point in his career that he needed to go away, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, you know, the guys that left in 2018, Shima, T-Hawk, Lindemann, Shingo, will remove Yamamura. If he was healthy, I would have wished he would have stayed. Yeah. But those guys needed to go. And it seems to have worked out best for everybody with the exception of maybe Shima, although I will still point to the fact that before COVID he was going to move to Mexico and get a giant push in AAA and AEW had plans for him. So that's up to, you know, your, what's going on in your mind of if you think that's better than Dragon Gate or not. Yeah. And I guess like my overall thing about Galit is like, they put all their shows up on YouTube for free that it, they have merch, but it does not seem like it's like a big merch machine that even like, before Glee, how Stronghearts was just pumping out merch nonstop case. Like they yes. were constantly goosing that and trying to get it for all the all of it, the pennies you can get out of it. So you like you'll you look at this, uh there's no sponsorships that I could tell of. So it looks like it's all like Ledette, uh just imagery around. It's all that iconography, nothing on mats, nothing on turnbuckle pads, and that's revenue coming in. So your revenue there. I mean, yes, it's cheaper to run some of these buildings right now, but as soon as P 
people can charge uh have full capacity they're not going to get those uh running tokyo dome city hall case is going to be a lot more expensive we're not going to be seeing many many promotions run there just like how we didn't before 2020 same thing with the budokan hall in a larger context so then you like look at this and you're like oh how is this company making money it's just tickets it looks like at least on the surface it's just attendance and they run a whole lot don't get me wrong there but they also run a whole lot and they have a pretty small core roster and in case do you think that shima is decided hey i'll take a, a little pay cut here maybe a little one but do you think that shima took like significant like shima's going to get his bag so no no because you know we referenced the fujiwara substack earlier and all i could think about when i was reading about the funding that went into to jerry's promotion wnc obviously gleet at least from what we can tell with with ledette being the backer has a stronger financial backing than wnc did but talking about the lack of return on investment and the continuous depleted morale that wnc had all i could think about was gleet and the fact that minora tanaka and kaz hayashi and shima are going to demand a certain level of money. And if you're a Soma Watanabe or, Watanabe, or even possibly, and I don't know this for sure, but if you're an L Lindemann, you got to be going, fuck, man, this sucks. This, we're, we're, we're not going anywhere. I would love to know what that locker room looks like. I would love to know if they could, you know, if they set Cork and Hall up with 1,800 fans, what that number would look like. How many fans are they going to get in the building? I still have so many unanswered questions about what the hell Gleet is. Yeah, and that kind of was like my big takeaway from watching the show, other than like, oh yeah, El Endeben, like when you put him in like singles matches, and we've seen this before 2018, that like he's nails in the ring just as much as anyone with the Dragon System standard. It's just now you have the idea that I, I don't know if they're going to be doing like a separate Ledette UWF championship, but now you have the, the idea that he is the first champion of the company and you're putting the weight on his shoulders. And that's another big question right there for a guy that other than like losing his hair at Dead or Alive, I don't think he even sniffed like a post intermission match at a big five show in Dragon Gate. I was looking at his title history earlier, and I was really surprised that he only held the uh, the Triangle Gate titles once, and that was a, you know, a, a relatively short reign, 125 days as Triangle Gate champion. And he actually, that, that belt, do you remember why, as we play cage match on air here, so the titles are won by Lindemann Shingo and Yoshida in July. But when they lose the titles, they lose them to Eita, Shingo, and Kondo. Were they doing like a Freebird rules thing with Verzerk at that point? I, uh, man. I know so I'm asking I, you to, yeah, I'm asking you to remember a late 2017 booking, which is the meanest thing I've ever done to you. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, uh, let me pull up Triangle Gate matches to see if I could pull this out of my ass. Uh, I don't remember. I, it, it, anyways, the the point is is that you know Lindemann only had one brief reign as Triangle Gate champion. The highlight of his career, and Lindemann will always hold a special place in my heart because he was the first rookie that I watched debut in real time in Dragon Gate. I came in just a little bit after the Ryotsu Shimizu debut, so 
when Lindemann hit the ground running in August of 2014 as Yuga Hayashi, he was very much, and I think everybody watching at the time can agree that when when he debuted, yes, he was small. Yes, he was little just in terms of the way he was built, but we all looked at each other like, oh my God, this kid is this kid is incredible. And he was really emphasizing his judo background at the beginning of his career. So it seemed like Drangate had found another one of those kids that they they pluck from thin air, they put into the dojo, and all of a sudden they've got a competent professional wrestler, and he debuted as a very, very good pro. And then you see four months into his career, he gets put in the doi darts match. He goes toe-to-toe with Shima on the microphone in Cork and Hall, which cannot be understated how impressive that was for a literal rookie to go nose-to-nose with Shima in a promo battle. And then they put him in the doi darts main event, and he pins Jimmy Conda in the main event of Cork and Hall four months into his career. And it seemed like everything after that was downhill. Yeah, uh, he did have, like, the, like, standout thing. Like, the big thing about Lindemann was that unlike his 2014, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting my rookies wrong. Unlike the rest of the Millennials, he was comfortable cutting promos against people like Shima. Unlike T-Hawk, who, you know, very soft-spoken guy, and Aita, who only really came together as a promo, I would say, during his heel run. He yes. was competent and was able to step up there like to the point that actually beating or, or the crowd perceiving him beating Shima on the microphone when he debuted as L. Lindemann was a huge move. So like he had that and then it, it was something that like the whole overgeneration thing, that'll be a future that'll be a topic of a future episode. Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta do that. We have to do the overgeneration rewatch, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And like you had the Maryland very briefly and that led to his heel turn it just was something that like it was set up very much in a way of dragon gate how they set up someone before they go on excursion and 2018 happened it was a natural time for him in a way in a way one hell of an excursion (laughs) hey i mean going to las vegas nevada you know just good times good times now now real quick before we move on from lindemann uh we're in agreement that L. Lindemann and face paint was not a very good pro wrestler, right? Yeah, I mean Shingo Takagi was right about that. Yeah, well, oh, did she, did Shingo was that part of the gimmick? Was that he was mad at Lindemann for wearing face paint or something? Well, he said like, "Oh yeah, I told you to have the face paint and the rope. You should drop it now." Yes, I'm no yeah, one. that 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 because I just oh god, I if, late stage for Zerk into Antios. What a bad unit. Just sad days, sad days, I would say. But yeah, no, so it's going to be an interesting voyage. And this kind of ties into the the overall, where does everything look like in Japan with wrestling, with attendance? Uh, Don't expect uh, visas with Dragon Gate. That's its own. But it will be easier to go to Japan as a fan to watch shows. I'm a full belief than to be a international wrestler trying to work in Japan for the foreseeable I, I guess, future. So I, I plan on seeing Ultimo Dragon this Sunday at a Lucha show in Chicago. I guess I will rip up my list of indie wrestlers that Drangate should book. I guess I'm, I handed Tomohiro Ishii a $20 bill. I guess I will not be <laughs> handing Ultimo Dragon my list of indie wrestlers that would do well in his promotion. I mean, you should still do it. It's just like... <laughs> no, I'm going to walk up to him. I'm going to go, hey, can you bring the following? Can you please bring Jason Lee, uh, Takuma Fujiwara, and Masaki Mochizuki with you next time, please? I would like to see all three of those guys wrestle live and in living color. 
Oh man, I would, I would come up to that that show and wherever that uh, lucha show is in Chicago to go see <laughs> Jason Lee, Takuma Fujiwara, and Masaki Mochizuki live. I mean, Jason Lee would be so goddamn good on a Chicago lucha show. It pains me that that will never happen. <sighs> yeah, man. That that's just that's just sad. Now I'm thinking about that. I'm now I'm a little bummed. Now I'm a little bummed. <laughs> but case you know what does not get me bummed. What's that, Mike? That is HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And that is why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience without skimping on quality. So you're not going to get... Your kale is not going to be wilted already. It's going to be on point for you uh, there at HelloFresh. And they have a lot of options that they have coming up soon with HelloFresh Lately Case. You know, Mike, I leave my apartment every morning right around 4 in the morning to go to work. And so that means that sometimes packages that are dropped off late at night are still in the lobby when I leave because they, you know, they didn't have a chance to pick them up that night. And what I saw this morning, and this is a true story... What I saw this morning as I was leaving was a box of HelloFresh meal kits sitting in the lobby of my apartment building, and I can only assume that it was my next-door neighbor who ordered HelloFresh with the Voices of Wrestling promo code because he heard me raving about my squash with bacon and scallops or 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 my beef ragu or my spicy coconut curry pork noodle soup, which I'm not a big soup guy, but boy, does that sound good. I'm only assuming that the only other HelloFresh user in my building is the only person that can hear me right now is my next door neighbor. As I'm screaming about HelloFresh, he probably thought to himself, damn, I'm hungry. Damn, I could lose a little bit of weight. You know, beach season is right around the corner and I'd like to have a beach body. The best way I can do that is by planning my meal to the HelloFresh meal kit. Yeah, that's right. And it's never been easier to get HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use code VOW16 for sixteen up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That is HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and promo code VOW16 for up to 16 meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. In case as we move on, we're going to move to the Dragons Dragon Gate proper here. They we're in the thick of it. We had a nice leisurely July, the beginning of February. We had it a nice leisurely July. Yes, July. We, yes, we did. Just, no, we did not have a leisurely July. <laughs> January, January. Damn it, January. But now we are in the thick of it. We had three shows that we're covering on tonight's program. The first Fukuoka doubleheader of the year from the 20th and then also champion gate from wakiyama on the 23rd and it's only going to get more crazy they've got a kobe show this weekend and then corken hall and champion gate it is as you've put it wrestling podcasters hell <laughs> hell weeks coming up ahead of us uh hakata i'll run through the results for uh for for hakata that the big thing about this was the triangle gate championship tournament uh, Case, what were your overall big thoughts on the first appearance in a Cross Fukuoka for 2022? 
my overall big thoughts is that for a month and a half, Mike Spears has been going, hey, man, that first week of March, that's he's been staring at the barrel of this weekend of like, uh, it's it's going to be so much. You don't even understand. Like, we've got the AEW pay-per-view, and there's a cork, and there's champion in Osaka, and he, he has been sweating bullets about what should be possibly the best weekend of wrestling of this entire calendar year. He has been so nervous about it for a month and a half, and Mike, we're almost there, and we're going to get through it, okay? I am looking at Monday the 7th. I'm looking at it. Uh, it, it. It's not that I'm dreading this. I, th- as you said, this is like one of the first big wrestling weekends of the year, and there's a lot of stuff for between AEW and Dragon Gate that I'm super into. Don't get me wrong. I'm just like, that's a lot of stuff to watch. I, I I'm a pretty active person. That's going to have me sitting in front of the couch in front of the computer screen a whole lot next week. Yeah, I. I'm going to be watching the same thing. We're going to be doing multiple podcasts together next week. I'm going to be watching the same things that you are, and I I look forward to it very much. As for the weekend in Fukuoka, the Triangle Gate Tournament, as we predicted, a smashing success. I would not question anybody that went notebook on all three Triangle Gate matches. I did not. I went notebook on one of them. I now have a new Dragon Gate match of the year at four and a quarter stars that we'll talk about. I thought the the first show, the afternoon show, this was a rare instance where that show was the better of the two. I really liked the afternoon show. Evening show, very good main event and some stuff along the way. Yeah, uh, the afternoon show is the thing worth really seeking out. It, other than if you're not going to cherry pick just the uh, trial gate matches, like the, the afternoon show was a whole lot of fun for me. And it, it it's something with these uh double shots these double headers where like you know that you have two matches within like a five hour period and it was Susumu Yokosuka's birthday and Susumu Yokosuka was not anything important so Susumu was going to just have himself a good time you know and attendance was I mean between the two shows they had close to 600 seats in a building that you know I mean does not fit that many people in it even without restrictions so I mean there's a reason why they keep on with it but it's just you know people gotta take rest okay so i mean susumu yokosuka it was birthday weekend he was gonna have a good time yeah attendance slightly down from the last time they were there the evening or i'm sorry the daytime show this time around did 232 the last time it did 288 and the evening show this time around with the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match did 326. The last time they were here, this was in October, they did 351. So a very small difference, but down nonetheless. But that did not stop Susumu Yokosuka and the boys from having a good time. Yeah, yeah. And we came out of the weekend with the 76 Open the Triangle Gate Champions, the Natural Vibes team, KZ, UT, and Jackie Funky Kamei. It kind of was the weekend of Jackie to be quite honest with how he was uh, really was put at the forefront of all this. But running down the uh, afternoon card, we had a six-man tag opener. It was unaffiliated. The uh, unnamed new team, uh, Kota Minora, Naruki Doi, and Kaido Ishida versus Jason Lee, Takumi Hayakawa, and Ryo Fuda. It was Minora over Hayakawa with the R301. They've already renamed this move twice. Maybe they're, they're going stick to stick with it with the R301. Uh, we had High End versus Unaffiliated. Kakatora and Keisuke Akuda beat Eita and Yosuke Samaria. That love story continues unabated. Maybe one day Yosuke will get the kiss she desperately wants. 
Zebrats versus Unaffiliated. It was a Dreamgate preview match. Kai, SB, Kento, and Diamante versus Ultimo, Masaki Mochizuki, and Big Boss Shimizu. Big Boss Shimizu got the Bokudomo style Lobmage draw on Kai. Uh, match four was the Open the Twin Gate champion team. Uh, Dragon Daya and Yuki Yoshioka versus Natural Vibes, Susumu Yokosuka, and Ginky Horiguchi. It was, Yoko- it was Yoshioka with the Frog Splash. And then we got into our two tournament matches. They drew to start the show. They drew sides. And the two matches were Zebrats versus Dragon Gate Future. And then the Natural Vibes team versus High End. It was first up was Zebrats, Hyo, BB Hulk, and Shun Skywalker versus Dragon Gate Future, the Ahashi Brothers, Riki Nishin, and Takuma Fujiwara. Hyo got the win with the Black Panther Clutch. And then in the main event, we had KZ, UT, and Jackie Fungi Kamei of Natural Vibes versus High Ends, Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Benke. And KZ penned Benke with the running elbow smash. And Case, my big thing that you've been talking about, you've been really on the fact that Benke is kind of being built up for something. Benke eating the fall like he did, does that kind of uh, make you want to take a step back from that? Yes. And I. I, I will stand by my opinion while altering it. I'm glad they've built up the way the uh, I'm glad they've built up Ben K the way they have because it made him losing look that much better. Yeah, and it was something that I mean, KZ pinning Ben K. I mean, that's Yamato is not taking the fall there. Dragon Kid could have, but KZ makes the most sense really there. I mean, they're not going to have UT or Kame uh, get the fall over Ben K, so it's not a bad fall for Casey or for Ben K to take. It is the, the least embarrassing one on that side, I would say. And it, it did feel like that the fin- in the closing stretch, they basically Ben K just took headshot after headshot after headshot. I mean the running elbow smash was during the spear attempt that we talked about this in 2020. He did the slide out in the spear getting hit as hard as he could in his head. That's gonna be something they continually do with Ben K from now until he retires. Yes, this main event, High End versus Natural Vibes, is my new Dragon Gate match of the year. I went four and a quarter stars on it. I thought it was the best thing I saw this weekend on the three Dragon Gate shows. Jackie Funky Kamei, at this time last year, was hurt. He came back in the spring. He looked really rough. We kind of wondered, hey, is Natural Vibes going to be the right fit for him? Is this the right gear for him? Does he look right in this unit? And then he had an okay summer. And by the time we got to October and he wrestled SB Kento, he has now found his groove and he has been riding that wave. We're talking about a match that was October 17th. That was almost six months ago now. And he has been riding that wave ever since. Yes, KZ was great. Yes, Ben K was great. Of course, UT commanded the ring. But Jackie Funky Kamei, and he's done this before. I make a note of this every time they're in the ring together. JFK stands up to Yamato, and those two go at it in this vicious chop battle every time they're in a match with one another. This time, Kamei ever so briefly was able to get the upper hand on Yamato, and he stole the show for me. This was the Jackie Funky Kamei show. By the end of the weekend, he ended up with his first title, which seemed, it came across to me at least, like a really big deal. Even though this guy's only been on the roster for two full years, this felt like a really big deal in the sense that he has been scraping and clawing and he's undersized and outmatched by a lot of this roster, but that didn't stop him with the power of natural vibes by his side from winning his first championship. 
I loved this main event of Natural Vibes versus High End. Yeah, I was a, I was not as high on that. My favorite match actually came in the night show, but I JFK has a crowd presence and command of the crowd that the crowd was with him in this like chop alley of Yamato. They were behind Kamei, not the company A's. And that tells you all you need to know. Like, like it was something that like we had at the time. It's like, is it going to work out for him? You know, he's been understudying. I've said this a lot. He's been understudying KZ and Ginky Horikuchi for a reason. And it's already paying results. And he looked awesome in this. And it just was something that like the whole entire match was worked around. Uh, Jackie Funky making beat down and then eventually rising up, getting the hot tag to his teammates and his teammates just running through Ben K. And it just worked in a way that like, he was believable that he was persevering in this semifinal match. And it was something that when he was facing off against the, the biggest star in the company, he was able to at least get 280, 230 people behind him versus that star in the first appearance of the promotion and in this venue for the year. I want to phrase this very carefully because I, I don't mean it as a backhanded compliment, but I, I have a spreadsheet on my computer. I'm trying to do more with it. It's kind of my ongoing project that i don't pay enough attention to but i i have been working on my match of the year by year list and i'm just about through with every year from 2000 to 2021 of ranking the top 10 matches of every year and because over the past month i've been watching so much old torimon content that i haven't seen in years at this point it, it inspired me to go back to that list and see where some of the high-end torimon matches ended up and what i've realized is that you know, 1999 has some really high points. 2000, 2001, there are legitimately great matches in that promotion. But by the time they hit 2002, Torimon feels less like an experiment and more like a well-oiled machine. And that is, you know, three years into their existence. And as we see UT continue to develop and hopefully stay healthy, for a two or three year stretch. And as we see Kamei and SB Kento, and if Kakuta ever comes back, that would be great. As we see this generation of guys move forward into year three, year four, year five, you have to remember these guys are still so young, not in terms of age, which they are, but in terms of experience, the groundwork has been set. We know these guys can have legitimately great matches, what is frightening to think is that we're going to hit a point if their progression continues, and I have no reason to believe that it's not, that in another six months, in another year, in another two years, this, for lack of a better term, high-end output that we see from Kamei every once in a while, because this match was interesting, because a lot of times I feel like now we see, you know, if Kamei and SP Kento have a great match, it feels very experimental. It feels very 2000, 2001, where these guys are finding it as they go, and they are just so happening to stumble into magic. This six-man, this main event, high-end versus natural vibes, felt like a well-oiled machine. It felt like six main eventers having this style of match that in a previous generation, Yoshino and Shima and Tozawa and Shingo would have had. I felt like this match was very akin to that. And as these guys go grow older, we're going to see more and more of that. And that's really exciting to think that, you know, we haven't touched the tip of the iceberg with a Kamei or an SB Kento or a Fujiwara or a Hayakawa or the Hashi brothers. Does that point make sense? Yeah, it, it's something that 
is actually like the most rewarding thing about following the dragon system the way it is because you see that progression and you're like oh we see glimpses of it like how we saw glimpses of sp kento i don't want to say being led into like the best match of his career but being in the ring with uh with masato yoshino naruki doi susumi yokosuka dragon kid i think ginky horiguchi was the fifth one off the top of my head there but you you saw that it's like oh this is going to happen and it's seeing them actualize on this potential each time that really drives it that that's i'm already stoked thinking about what 2025 would look like with what's going to happen when like sp kento and kame finally join forces you know and, and the things like that that just make this like some of the more some of the most rewarding wrestling that one can watch the eventual Dragon Daya and Yuki Yoshioka versus SB Kento and Jackie Funky Kame match is something that I very much look forward to. And, and how can't you? It's just, it, there's already layers built up on that, considering that two of these guys have not yet had their third anniversary yet. Yeah, I, I, again, I perhaps I was a little clunky in that explanation. The, the main point here is that Kame looked like he fit in with a Ben K and a Dragon Kid and a Yamato. And even with KZ, he was lockstep with him there. And that's very important as he goes along. He's not the young guy that is overachieving. He is one of the guys pushing this promotion forward. And I think as time goes along, we're going to see more and more performances uh, of him doing the same exact thing. No, um, I'm totally with you on it. Like he felt like a he felt like an adult, not a kid in a way. Very much so. Sense. Yes. Uh, the other semifinal, I... I really enjoyed it too. The uh, futurist team, like Fujiwara, is someone that boy that that they've taken the the uh, turning wheels off him, haven't they? <laughs> Given this week, he just really just it, it's something that like, when you see him in the ring with the rest of the future class, you're kind of like, oh yeah, no, this kid is something special. Which is crazy because Hayakawa plays his role so well, and the Ahashi brothers, I think, are very very good, but they're just not on the level that Fujiwara is. I mean, I came into this weekend thinking, okay, let's say we get Zebrats versus the future class, which is what I really wanted. And I'm glad we got it. I think there's a 98% chance that Zebrats are going to win this match, but there is a 2% chance. And maybe some people had it at one. Maybe they had it at 0.5. I had a 2% chance that Dragon Gate was going to say, fuck around and find out with the Kuma Fujiwara. And he was going to score a roll up win here. And they were going to challenge for the Triangle Gate belts. It would have been shocking. I'm not sure I would have done it, but this is a promotion that consistently goes, whatever you were thinking we're going to do, we're not going to do that. And it's going to pay off in the long run. And after watching Fujiwara in this match, and then after watching him in Memorial Gate, I think if they put him in a main event Triangle Gate match, he would fit in. I think he would play his spots well. We're going to find out when he semi-main events one of the biggest weekends of the year in a singles match for the Open the Brave Gate title if he can fit in in that scene. And right now, I have no doubt that he's going to be able to. Yeah, and I was one of the people that I did not think there was a shot that Future was, was going to win the cl this match, but we got the single deep two count that you have the moment of doubt of, wait, they could be winning this, and that's what I wanted for in this match, and when it happened, it came off even bigger than I expected. He had a near fall on Hyo that was, the only way I can describe it is it was stupid how close it was to a three count. And Hyo is someone, I'll rave about him when we get to Memorial Gate, but 
who who would have thought mike and again we're the perennial heel podcast we have been supporters of him since he wore leopard print and converse sounds like a woman i would like but the fact is we've always liked this guy but i never would have imagined that he is now wily veteran doug gilbert-esque walk and brawl heel to such a staggering degree and it's so entertaining like what he has done under the latter half of the R.E.D. tenure into Zebrats is so remarkable. And you see it pay off in matches like this, where, again, despite the fact, and I'll use these terms for him as well, despite the fact that he's undersized and overmatched by a lot of the roster, he came across like a bruising heel in a situation where he should have against the true rookies of the roster. The dynamics here were just perfect to me. Yeah, it's something that... Going to Hokkaido and deciding to screw up King of Gate last year was the best thing that happened in his career because he's been able to like embody like this idea. Like you would think that, oh, this this guy thinks he's smarter than everyone else. That's gonna be like a Lanny Poffo like character. No, this is a this is a guy that has used and it. it's like I'm using my brain to get me out of all these situations because I am smarter than you. And it's in a way that fits his character and it overcomes the undersized bit about him and it shows the shades of that december 1st 2016 match where he came off like such a cocky prick that now he now he thinks he's a cocky prick who's smarter than everyone else in the room and it's an edge that for a while i did not see that coming like the heel turn it was like oh okay and he just kind of was like adrift but they went up to Hokkaido. they went to sapporo last year and he decided that he was going to ruin yamato's king of gate and it was the best thing to ever happen in his career and it's been paying off ever since yeah it, the character rehab that has been done with Hyo over the past year and a half is so remarkable i mean i never would have imagined him as realistically the 2b or number three in a heel unit that i love i think zebrats has hit the ground running i love the aesthetic i love the members i think everybody including hulk who is the the one guy who you know, I, 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 am I in love with BB Hulk right now? No, I'm not. But even Hulk, even Hulk pulls his weight. Everybody, I think, is really clicking in Zebrats right now. And a lot of that is because of the way that Hyo and SB Kento are running things. Even if Kai is the leader, this unit feels like a unit that belongs to SB Kento and Hyo. Yeah, and it's something that I still think that Zebrats needs that lost post. They need someone that consistently because they're going to be put in three matches a night they need to have someone that you know you could put in a match with like shun skywalker and you don't have to like give up Hio for that basically but for now you know he doesn't lose any of his heat or his push like eating falls the way he does because he should lose these falls you know i mean he is undersized he he is not as smart as he thinks he is you know and eventually you know someone like and on the uh, evening show jackie funky kamei is going to take advantage of a situation and catch you in a flash pen, and you're going to lose a title match. And that's Hyo's role there, and it's fascinating. Yeah, really, really tremendous stuff. Go watch these two Triangle Gate matches, or these Triangle Gate tournament matches. I think they're well worth your time. If there was another match that I could point to on this show, Mike was a big fan of the Susumi Yokosuka antics in match number four. I will steal a DM from friend of the show, Alan Forrell, who said that Susumu was acting as Owen Hart this weekend which was a very accurate comp. I really liked the third match on this show, Kai, Espy, Kento, and Diamante versus Ultimo, Big Boss, Shimizu, and Masaki Mochizuki. I have a shocking statistic for you, Mike, that since What's debuting... Up? 
the <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got something good for you here. I'm really cooking. Uh, since SB Kento debuted at the end of 2019, he has only wrestled Masaki Mochizuki four times. And that is a crime to me because, yes, I love SB Kento. Yes, I love Masaki Mochizuki. But those two, I think, have unreal chemistry. And they've only wrestled four times, once of which was here in Fukuoka. Well, I think that's because SB Kento is well aware of Nosawaism and he knows how a 50-year-old could kick his ass. <laughs> I, I, okay, I don't want to go back <laughs> on the Noah thing. but Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. I was just... I was thinking about SP Kento as I do, just daydreaming about SP Kento this week and how talented this kid is, despite being a year younger than me, which really hurts my feelings. It, it's so interesting. I was thinking about what SP Kento would look like if he went to Noah and worked an ATA like schedule, or if he wrestled in New Japan Super Juniors, because, you know, let's face it, he did outdraw Nakajima and Fujita. And I was thinking about, well, what what could Drangi do to raise his profile even more? And I realized the best thing they could do is to keep him firmly planted in Dragon Gate. I think if a Jackie Funky Kamei or a UT or a Jason Lee or a Big Boss Shimizu, whoever you want to list, I think those guys could go out there and they could lead the charge of Drangi from another promotion and possibly, idealistically, get eyeballs on the promotion. I wonder if part of the SB Kento charm is that he is so fine-tuned to the intricacies of Dragon Gate and what they look for in a star and what he brings to the table. I'm afraid that would get lost if let's use the example that he just did a Super Juniors tournament. If he did best of the Super Juniors and he's got to wrestle Master Watto and Despy and whoever else. Am I crazy in thinking that everything that works so well in Dragon Gate might not transfer over for him specifically to another promotion? I mean, if you can connect with a crowd in one place, you, you should be able to connect with them other way. Yeah, you know? that's true. I just he's he's already undersized for this roster, and I will stop using that term now, I promise. But he is already smaller than a lot of the guys on a small roster. And this is not a knock on SB Kento. I actually think it's it's a case of Drangit going, oh, here's how to make this guy a star. Let him do everything that he could possibly do well in our promotion, which will accept it. I, I just I, I'm afraid he would get dwarfed if he went off to a Noah or a new Japan, and all of a sudden that charisma that we love would be gone, and that ring generalship that we love would be gone. And I don't know. It was just a fun thought experiment that I was thinking about over the weekend. If you disagree, or if you agree, I would love people's thoughts on this Voice of Wrestling Discord at Open Voice Gate on Twitter. If if you think SB Kento's charisma would translate to another Japanese promotion, because I'm not sure if it would, and I say this as possibly his biggest advocate. It- it's something that I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that they wouldn't have the way that he's been pushed. Like, you can't necessarily drop him in there. You know, like, like yes, you, you now that I'm really thinking about it, yes, he get over one place and get over elsewhere. But, like, he's not going to have the the cachet that he got from being the person that dominated the units to spans match. He's not going to be, like, the supernova that the night he uh, 
just uh, promoted himself up from being a rookie, he won the Triangle Gate. He's not going to be like the guy that they basically ran all these shows on in the fall where he basically was the headline star with all the with the two years behind it. I think that's what also makes it a little bit diff- difficult. Like you, you, you drop him in there, he does not have that cachet. Whereas I think Jackie has a standalone gimmick that I look, I would love to see Kamei do a Super Juniors. I think he would crush it there. And I think he would, at least for fans in our bubble, get new eyes on the product. If you look at the roster, you know, is Hio a good enough worker to survive in that environment? Maybe not. I think he would do well in Noah or better in Noah than he would in New Japan. Obviously, Minora, Dragon Daya, Yuki Yoshioka. I'll point to Jason Lee again because I think he would blow people's minds if he did a Super Juniors tournament. Even Fujiwara. I think those guys, you could place them in anywhere and people would get it. They, you know, if they're going to, if they accept this style of wrestling, they're going to get it pretty quick. Oh, this is why this guy's a big deal. SB Kento, and I, I, I don't know. I guess the closest comp is like an ECW thing where Heyman was just able to use these guys in the right way in front of the right crowd to where they came across like bigger stars than they would. Now, obviously, Heyman was doing that with, you know, 911 and Public Enemy and guys that weren't incredibly talented. SP Kento was incredibly talented, but I do wonder if he is one of those guys that needs to be in a certain promotion to come across like a star. I, I, I you know, because we would lose that context of him killing the Torimon generation if he did a Super Juniors tournament. And I'm just, I'm so curious to see what that would look like because for as much as I love him, my my instinct is that I don't know if it would be great for him. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily knocking him or n- knocking New Japan. It's just, you know, going back to what we said, starting up the show is the company knew they had to get behind him. They knew they had something in him. So why not put the cachet in him now? and let him benefit from it earlier than, you know, getting like a win in someone's retirement match. You know? Yeah. I also just think maybe avoid the cesspool of other Japanese promotions and just let him cook here. That is what Dragon <laughs> is doing. And that's what they should focus on is maybe don't have him involved with promotions that aren't as good right now. No, no, that that's fair. Uh, moving on to the evening show, I'm going to run down the results and then we can talk about the main event. That's really the big highlight of the evening. We had the Twin Gate champions, Daya and Yoshioka, beat Binke and Kakatora of High End. They renamed the Reptilian Kai into the Double Cork, which, I mean, they, they, they've got to like, decide on some names for finishers. <laughs> like, this is, this is getting a little Andrew, Andrew Rich's self-brain uh, computer is going to combust because he's not going to know the name of these finishers or changing the names too much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, match two, three-way tag. Amochizuki and Fujiwara versus Susumu and Ginki versus Eita and Yosuke San Maria. Susumu got the win on Maria after uh, Eita did a low blow. Uh, we had Ultimo and the Hashi brothers versus Kai, SB Kento, and Diamante. SB Kento submitted Ishin with the SB shooter. Singles match Jason Lee versus Big Boss Shimizu. Kai interfered, gave Shimizu the medio impact, and pulled. Jason Lee over him, continuing the Dreamgate build. Semi-main event, uh, high-end uh, Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Okuda versus Minora, Doi, and Ishida. It was Minora submitting Okuda with the Ingranaje. Haven't seen that one in a while. And then in the main event, the 76th Open, the Triangle Gate Champion, Decision Tournament Finals. It was Natural Vibes defeating Zebrats when Jackie Funky Kamei 
got the Jackie knife on Hio in 15 minutes and one seconds after Casey interrupted a final stretch. Like BB Hulk was rearing up for the first flash and just shoved him out of the way. And then Hio just quickly got rolled up by Kame in a really hot finish. Yeah, this was very good stuff in the main event. Before we get there, do you want to talk about Shimizu versus Jason Lee for a second? Do you have thoughts on this? Because this match annoyed me. It, I thought the work was solid. I thought they yes. worked the size difference really well. Shimizu seems to be someone who's like slimming down, which makes you wonder if you want to read the tea leaves about the uh, match on on May on March. God, I'm getting my months all kinds of wrong today. Case, <laughs> <laughs> imagine how I'm going to be like next week, uh, March sixth. You know, it looks like you know he he knows he's main eventing. He's making himself look like his best self there. The interference with Kai, I mean, they've had so many shows since they've made this match that that, that they have to eventually do new things <laughs> to kind of keep it going, even though, I mean, they've done all the build. Like, they still have a Corkin before champion game. It's like, all right, what are you going to take out of your bag of tricks to continue heating up this feud? I would honestly do a six-on-six six, uh, Natural Vibes versus Zebrats match if that was me, but I don't book. But... Yeah, I can get why you're frustrated with, uh, you know, Kai doing the non-finish. Yeah, I, I the work was fine. I mean, Shimizu and Jason Lee had good chemistry. I think they're going to have a great King of Gate match one day. I, I am trying so hard to get into Kai as Dreamgate champion. I talk myself in before every show. I go, well, you know, he's, he's a great character and he looks good in this new unit. I see why they're doing it. I think the payoff of a babyface beating him is going to be worth it. You know, okay. And he got the belt off Yamato. You know, it's a good thing that Kai is Dreamgate champion. I'm into this. And then I watch him work these in-between shows, and it's just not there for me. The matches with Yamato leading up to the Dreamgate win were not good. The matches with Yoshida leading up to that match were not good. I don't put the Yoshida match not being great on him. It was an unwinnable position for those guys to be in. But now, I, you know, I like the Memorial Gate opener that we'll talk about in just a second. I like that match, but I am so into Shimizu has just been pinning everybody. He's looked so dominant for months now, for months as Big Boss Shimizu. He has looked like a killer. And then he gets crushed on the top rope and Kai hits his finish and then drapes Jason Lee over. I just thought Shimizu looked weak. I didn't like this at all. This was going in the opposite direction because if Shimizu would have just looked like a killer continuously and Jason Lee can take this fall, it's not going to hurt him. Even if he's headlining Memorial gate, which we'll talk about the mess that that was in the build of that. But Jason Lee could have taken this fall or you just don't book this match. If you don't want either guy to lose clean, I, I, this, this rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. You, you know, it's something where like Kai has done like the machinations of throwing matches and, ruining matches so like it, it set in with this character but y- you know i it it's something that like at least with kai's champion i immediately go okay they're building up the title match i'm just going to look at this with that guy's with that with those lenses and under that guys and that kind of just was like my only like big takeaway i didn't even rate the match you know it just no, was some- I, yeah i i did not either it, it's I, the the payoff, I think, is going to be worth it in the end. Whenever Kai loses, and I think it will be to Shimizu, but if it's to, you know, Minora or Eita or whoever, I think it's going to be worth it. 
but I am trying really hard to like this title run, and I am just not liking it right now. Yeah, at least it does not seem like it's going to be a long one. You know, I'm not no. completely sold that he's losing the title next week, but it, he's that. There's no way that a hot season starts with him as champion. I I, I would uh, w- would you say there's a zero percent chance he holds the belt after Dead or Alive, or do you think there's a possibility he's champion going into King of Gate and into the hot season? <sighs> I ask the tough questions. Yeah, uh, I think that there is a decent chance now that he holds the title going into Dead or Alive. This completely changes my weird Dead or Alive idea out of the <laughs> way where SB Kinto is going to do become champion there. But uh, So I, Dead, or, Dead or Alive is May 5th. May 6th is Kai Dreamgate champion. Do you think there's any possibility that happens? Like 5% chance that they want to give someone like if they're going to actually build him up as a dominant champion, but they really haven't built him up as a dominant champion, though. They're going to have to change course now. No, he's been very weaselly. Yeah. He, did it even. He, beat, he beat Yoshida with a flash pit. He did it now. Granted, maybe it's just because he couldn't get Yoshida up for his finish, but he didn't even destroy him. And they present Yoshida currently as somebody that can be destroyed physically or emotionally. Yeah. I say 10%. Okay. That's not great odds. That that's terrible odds. Like if you're if you're taking a ten percent bet, you better hope that you're getting a big uh, odds in your favor. You better be getting paid out really highly for that. But yeah, bet, bet, uh, betting that Kai is Dreamgate champion post Dead or Alive is a little bit like betting against the American housing market in two thousand five, where if you're right, great, but also at what cost? Yeah, yeah, you're kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, look, I the Big Short is. One of my, I don't know, five favorite movies of all time. I rewatched it last week for the umpteenth time. I love the big short. I still don't understand what's going on. Those people were right, but it sucked because the American economy collapsed. I'm I'm not saying bet, you know, for or against Kaya's Dreamgate champion. I'm just saying if he if he has the belt in May, I think something has gone horribly wrong. Case A confirmed Selena Gomez and Richard H. Thaler fan. That movie's so fucking good. Oh my god! Just the oh the way they Steve Carell, that's his best performance. I, hot take: It's easy to say Michael Scott. His best performance is in The Big Short. He's it, better than Dinner for Schmucks. Even that's how good Carell is in The Big Short. That character is so he, he's such a charming asshole in that movie. It's amazing. I love every scene of that film. It's tremendous. I'm trying to think of other scenes of that film. I, I saw it once and I was like, I liked it, you know, but that's not my the, top the, five. The, the big short, of course, not your favorite Selena Gomez movie. You are a Spring Breakers uh, for life fan. Oh, yeah. No, for for sure. Harmony <laughs> Corinne, you know, like that's no surprise. The the ATLian monologue is one of the most powerful monologues and the uh, the, the biggest cultural touchstone in, in American culture of the 21st century. <laughs> I've this told is this my story. shit. <laughs> I've this. told the story of the podcast before. I won't repeat it. I just I remember putting that movie on with a uh, with a girlfriend who uh, we were about to break up. I was like, "Oh, this will be fun. It'll be like it's like a horny spring break comedy. Like we'll have a good time watching this." And then nope. it turned out to be the biggest mind fuck we've ever watched before. <laughs> I mean, MMA Jarrett as a uh, youth preacher. I mean, <laughs> within the first five minutes, case you you knew you made the wrong choice. <laughs> Oh, it, it, the vibes were so off, but it was like, oh, we're not going <laughs> to 
we're not going to turn it off. Like we started it. We might as well finish it. So then we were just, we were just bummed out. That was just a, that was a tough afternoon. Cause we, we were not on the same page in that relationship. And, and somehow spring breakers just made it so much worse. I mean, you don't watch a Harmony Corinne movie to have a good time. I thought, You're... I thought it was like a Judd Apatow movie. No, I did not. I, I did not. I did not realize the lore behind Spring Breakers, Mike. I mean, you haven't seen Trash Humpers or Gummo, so it's okay. <laughs> no, I have not. Hey, I, I, real quick, I know we have to talk about Dragon Gate. We have to talk about Mor Memorial Gate here. But do you you don't watch Euphoria, do you? No, no. I, I I recognize it for what it is, and I get that it's having a cultural moment. But you know, uh, but my Sunday night show on HBO is The Righteous Gemstones. You know that. Yes, yeah, because you, yeah, I felt bad. You DM me about it a few weeks ago, and I was like, I, I've only, I'm so all consumed with Euphoria that we'll I talk haven't about watched EJ when you get to that point. Yeah, we'll, we'll I, talk I haven't about even, that. and I love Gemstone season one. I haven't thought about it because I, I was a day one Euphoria head. I watched the first episode when it premiered, and I was like, oh, this is my new favorite show. This is like One Tree Hill, but on an HBO budget. I love bad team dramas, and Euphoria is that, but with mod apatow in it which is a winning combination for me a big mod apatow fan season two has blown me away at every turn i look forward to every episode i'm so bummed the season finale is this past week and i said judd apatow maybe think of mod apatow i've been to ask you for about a month and a half now if you watch euphoria you do not that's okay you know someday i will probably end up watching it but you know, not when. Oh God, I'm now thinking. I think Jimson's season finale is coming up. And... Yeah, it's it's the it's the Sunday. They're they're both season finales. It's such a bummer. Uh, Dragon System alumni Larry Dallas recently got into Euphoria, and <laughs> bo boy oh boy, <laughs> um, the takes that have been public on his Twitter feed or something, let alone the takes I've been getting privately. Euphoria is the show for Larry Dallas. <sighs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> So what about Memorial Gate, Mike? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, really nothing else to talk about with Fukuoka. Uh, Kamei versus Shun was tremendous. Like, that's, I don't feel like we see a lot of Kamei and Shun, which, you know, I hope we can see a lot more of now. So that was, like, my other big takeaway from that. I went four stars on the Triangle Gate match. I thought it was the best Dragon Gate match of the week. But, yeah. It's, oh. it's great. Shun and Zebrats is phenomenal i think it, i wrote down in my notes and i don't remember what my thought process was as i was writing this but i have in my notes for these fukuoka shows that quote shun wrestles like a prison guard and i can't expand on that thought but i do stand by it i respect that i respect that a whole lot so memorial gate let's get into that uh attendance 285 uh let's just talk about why this is I have a big theory about it, Case. I want to hear yours first, though. I just think it was a cold main event. It was guys in Daya and Yoshioka who I think can draw at a sustainable main event level, but it, I, I don't remember, was it Kyoto that they agreed to the match with Jason Lee and Estrella, or was it Korokan? No, it was Kyoto. Yeah, they, you know, I, I understand wanting to do the fragmented pieces of masquerade in the tag match. I, I, if this was a semi main, I would love this match, but it was just an ice cold main event because there was no real build to it. Unless I'm forgetting something obvious, but I don't think I am. And you're not no. Yeah. It, it, you know, for 
th- three incredibly talented guys plus Australia, who I thought was good in this match. So four four incredibly talented guys who were just not put in a position to succeed. So to me, that's it. Was you know. The past two years, we got Doi versus Ata, which I count more as a Kobe World main event than a Memorial Gate, Memorial Gate main event. And then last year, Shun versus Cosmo, which the result was obvious in Shun winning, but that felt like a hot program going into that show. And this year, we got a very good Gate match, but it was a cold match going into it. Yeah, and I think that this match is indicative of them not announcing full cards. So you have this, and then you have the five-way Open the Brave Gate number one contender match, where the only two matches you announced here. And this show just had the vibe of pre-network Wakayama to me. Like, they built up Wakayama over the last few years as, like, a bigger show. Like, it was a tier, it was a second-tier show. And it just felt like with the scheduling, this was a national holiday. This was Emperor's birthday on the 23rd. And then also with the fact that, I mean, Champion Gate is, like, the first big traditional weekend in Dragon Gate's year, they just, you know, nothing was really built up for it. So you have, you have a bad attendance. And you when you look, look at the card and how the show was, the show was okay. Like, just like overall, like you had some really solid stuff there. Nothing as good as anything in the Trial Gate tournament, mind you. But it just like, it, you just had like all the this confluence of things happening here. And I mean, you have a brawl for the semi-main event that was only announced like after match three on this show. And like if you're on Wakiyama, you're coming off of seeing two Dreamgate matches the last two years, including a Dreamgate title switch. And your main event is a someone with one year experience who is hit and miss, Jason Lee, who incredibly talented. There's no evidence that he's a draw. Like that I don't think that's a unfair no, thing to say. Not at all. And then Dragon Daya and Yuki Oshioka, who that's really been a Tokyo act so far. You know, I mean, like they've highlighted them across all the stops there, but all the big moments there happened in Cork and Hall. So it's not like it's like a touring thing. It's like, oh, the, these are these dominant champions. This was their first style defense. And they still are a very fresh act. I mean, they only won the titles and re-debuted last month. So like, yeah, no wonder attendance was bad. And this isn't me giving them outs there. This was, if you want to treat this like a big show, you didn't treat it like a big show. And you get the results of that. I, I, I don't know where you stand. I am so over this mystery card thing. Uh, if you want to do it in, look, I think it would be great if they did every Kyoto show as a mystery vortex type deal because they've marketed this idea that anything can happen in Kyoto. I think that'd be great. On shows this big, even on Corkins, I I hate this. And I didn't like it when it was announced. I, you know, we went back and forth. Initially, it sounded like, oh, maybe it was going to be January. And then I, I reached out to somebody in Japan, and they were like, no, this is until we say otherwise, this is the plan. I don't like it at all. I don't like waking up and, you know, having a Dragon Gate show to watch and not knowing what's on the card uh, until, you know, I, I have to check Twitter at that point and see what Jay tweeted out. If now tell tell me if you disagree here. Champion Gate in Osaka this year, and I'm specifically looking at night two, which is Kai versus Shimizu and Daya and Yoshioka versus SB Kento and Hyo for the twin gate belts. Last year's night two, with that same lineup of a twin gate match of Mochizuki and Yoshida versus Hulk and Kai, and Skywalker versus Ishida in the main event, that did five hundred fans. 
assuming nothing drastic happens with COVID, we're going to assume that Omicron continues to lower in that country. If this show does worse than 500, I am putting that more so on this mystery vortex card gimmick they're doing and not on the wrestlers. I think this mystery vortex thing is hurting the attendance of these shows. I I don't think it's helping, but I also think that when you compare contrast night two with this upcoming night two, unless I'm wrong, I don't think Shimizu's from Osaka and they really like treated this like Kaito Ishida was really made in Edeon two or the Edeon complex. So the fact that he was getting his first world title match at Edeon Arena 2 was a deal there. So Shimizu is from Osaka. He is. They never yes. talk about that. No, he, really? de- he, de- he debuted in Osaka. It's funny. The, the Dragon Gate website says he debuted in Osaka against Apollo Crews and not UHA Nation, which is very funny. Uh, but he, he is from Osaka. Wow. Usually, like, they make that, like, front and center with that kind of stuff. That's a good point. I have not heard that mentioned in the build of this match. At all, yeah. So now maybe it has on Japanese commentary, and we obviously just don't know. But it is not. It has not been reemphasized in any promos that we're aware of, and I don't think the English commentary team that I can remember has mentioned it. Yeah, no. So that changes my opinion. If I'm going to guess, my acceptability is 450. But if it's much less than 450, then yeah, no, I'm totally with you that they have to stop this. I just, I, you know, we just talked about it with SB Kento being a draw. I trust Kai in a spot like this. I, I tend, my gut says that Shimizu is a good challenger. If, if that show doesn't draw, it's because I, I think it's going to be because of this not announcing cards thing. It drives me nuts. I, I am so ready for it to be over. It worked in January. I thought it was a fun gimmick then. I have not enjoyed it this month. Yeah, it, it's something that for unit shuffle. That's fine. I'm okay with that for it. But it's something that, like, it's a cute thing to do in January, like you were saying. But, like, you really kind of have to, like, put the the cards back together at this point. It's also, it makes our jobs harder, and I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That, that, that is be real very for true. a second. It makes our jobs harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way to do, like, an article preview for anything. It's just... No, I felt there was somebody on Voice of Wrestling who was like, oh, I might do a Memorial Gate preview if we have more than two matches announced. And I was like, well, I, I don't think we're going to, so good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, I mean, we'll get the name of the Menorah unit on thursday so maybe they'll take that as a sign to kind of curtail that a little bit but they really got to get back to set cards i i you've talked me into it but uh memorial gate uh just should we go from top down or bottom up let's start with the main event all right main event open a twin gate championship match dragon die and yuki oshioka as y'all know retained the belts it was over jason lee and Australia x masquerade the finish was Darkness Buster, 450 Splash, and Frog Splash on poor Estrella in 17 minutes and 58 seconds. I went three and three quarters case. I thought that Estrella held up his end of the bargain. Like, that was going to be the deal with it. But, I mean, the crowd was cold. The crowd was not as sparse as we came to know later. And it just was something that, like, Daya had a great babyface in peril moment. Like, they really have this tag team act down. It just was something that either... You needed a hotter crowd or a longer match for this to break into notebook range for me. 
Yeah, another three or four minutes, and I think we're looking at a legitimately great Twin Gate match here, because like we said during the preview, we know what we're going to get from Jason, we know what we're going to get from Daya, and we know what we're going to get from Yoshioka. This match doesn't necessarily depend on Estrella for it to be great, but if Estrella's not good, this match could fall apart, and luckily for us, we had a a, a pretty good La Estrella performance. I thought he hung in here in a main event spot. Yeah, and I mean, he is going to be the big question mark coming out of Masquerade. And the fact that he seems to be putting it together in the ring is only going to help him out here where, you know, he's healthy, which I mean, that's a that's a leg up on. I know you talked about this on your review comparing him and Strong Machine J. He could very easily fall into that position if, you know, health or his consistency dips. So like being able to come out here and have a strong performance helps him out i would look into whatever his second unit ends up being yeah i thought uh like i said i thought the match could have gone a few minutes longer but the finishing stretch was really hot noticeably a jason lee hong kong tornado that he hit on yuki yoshioka that had a very very close near three count a 2.9 if there ever was one before dragon dia broke it up there was a spot in which it looked like i believe it was dragon dia who was looking to go for some sort of code red and Jason Lee's uh, Jason Lee's knee buckled and it turned into a roll up and then Lee rolled out of the ring. There was one more spot that he came back to do and then he rolled back out of the ring and the finish happened. Uh, I, I can't confirm Jason Lee did injure his knee in that spot. It doesn't look like to be any sort of specified knee injury. I don't think he's going to miss any time, but I do know that he was feeling a pain in that knee the next morning. And then we go into the incredible stretch of finishing moves with the darkness buster, the uh, frog splash and the 450 for the win over Estrella. So hopefully Jason Lee's okay. And other than that, I thought this was a very good twin gate match. Yeah, no best wishes to Jason after that, because I mean, a lot of weight was put on his shoulders, you know, being the partner of Estrella here. And, you know, it sucks that, you know, he, he at least tweaked his knee, if not worse. Uh, semi-main event, Eita versus Hio. Hio announced this after Maria's match that Maria promptly lost in match three. This, welcome to the Wakiyama concession brawl case, because that's what we got here. Hio ended up winning with a rope-assisted schoolboy when Maria tried to come out to help out Ada. Ada just socked her in the mouth, and then Hio rolled her up and case we do have one very significant thing happening in this match please go ahead mike the world's biggest and dumbest chair pile spot <laughs> oh boy akira tozawa as he's sitting on his couch with tamina snooka because i don't know if you know but they're doing a, a relationship angle between those two now i believe uh tozawa had to be watching with such great pleasure uh with the, the chair spots in this match yeah, this was just like an out-and-out out brawl. Like, this is something that I wish this kind of was like a no-DQ kind of scenario because Hyo's become a really good brawler. I I don't know if he's Duck Gilbert like you think he is, but he's really kind of put it together, and they just decided to wipe out the hard camp side of chairs, and then it had to be at least 25 chairs in a pile that they did a suplex on. Just hilariously stuff and you know just like a, a solid like pit stop match into whatever conclusion we're going to get out of ada versus zebrats and not to mention the irish whip spot where i think ata cleared 12 rows of chairs uh hyo I, maybe maybe hyo took that bump actually i think ata sent hyo into the chairs and he just wiped out every piece of seating there was uh, this was so much fun i talked about this in my review i was going to talk about this no matter what ata did 
on this show because I was thinking about it during the Fukuoka cards. But props to Ata, who spent four years going through barbed wire, getting hit with chairs, doing table bumps, being in cage matches, and working Drangate's main event style. And now for the past two or three months, he has come to the ring, kicked Maria in the groin, and left. And this man deserves it, okay? I hope his body is healing up. Even this match was... You know, it, they they were they were working, brother. You know, this was again, this was the Wakayama concession stand brawl. It looked really painful. I'm sure both these guys are fine. Props to Ata for finally just relaxing a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's just chilling. You know, I mean, there's a lot of chairs. I mean, he he has the E chair that he always would have. So I mean, he has a relationship with chairs. So of course, there's just going to be. Slinging people into chairs, slamming people in chairs. I mean, I wonder what the Wakayama concession looks like. Because remember, they had the Umboshis there when they did the, uh, when they did like the special match that was not here this this year. Like they really sandbagged this show. There was no Wakayama Tornado winning rules match. That's what I I was waiting for. That I thought we were going to get some really fun Zebrats, natural vibes. You know, whatever triangle gate wakiyama tornado or wakiyama tornado match we didn't even get that this year this show was such an afterthought this was a road to champion gate show which is odd given that there's another cork and before we get to champion gate at least cork and we're going to annoy them we're going to know the menorah group like that's like the big focus for me there i mean i don't know how you really build up fujiwara versus uh dragon daya at this point but i mean there will be some, yeah, God, the calendar this year for Dragon Gate has just been dumb, just out and out, not like, I know some of it is holiday dependent and scheduling wise, but this is not laid out the way that you should lay out a Dragon Gate February into March. Yeah, no, it, it's really, I loved the idea of getting a big show like this in February when the calendar was unveiled. And now we see why this show typically comes after Champion Gate. It was nice in theory, poor in execution. Yeah, so uh, the match before that, that was uh, Minora's unit, uh, Ishida, Minora, and Doi, defeating Natural Vibes, Funky Jackie Kame, Jackie Funky Kame, Ginky Horiguchi, and KZ. It was after a really insane triple team maneuver onto Ginky Horiguchi. Uh, we should say that after this match, or no, this happened at, uh, at Fukuoka, we had the Hot Boys Challenge for for champion gate so this was a trial gate preview match it was minora over horiguchi with the gong in 10 minutes i thought this was the best match on the showcase i really I, was feeling it really all right well walk me through what you liked about it so much they just had instant instant chemistry this was something that yeah it was a 10 minute match and like that was another thing about the show nothing really got time other than the main event yes but it was just something that like you you got to see Kamei with Minonora, you know, I mean, that's something that you didn't really see a whole lot of last year. Ginky Horiguchi playing his role incredibly well. The uh, triple team maneuver they had going into the gong on Horiguchi, where Doi had him up for basically what was the uh, precursor to the muscular bomb, and then both uh, Minonora and Ishida attacked him in that situation, <laughs> and then he slammed him down. That was really sick. I really enjoyed this, and I like the chemistry we're seeing out of them in the Minonora unit already. Yeah, the the big takeaway for me here was the chemistry between 
Casey and Ashida, two guys who were arguably not supposed to be the focus of this match, but much like the statistic I dropped on you about Espy uh, Kento and Mochizuki earlier, I should note that KZ and Kaito Ishida have only had two singles matches with one another. One of them was on a next show in 2016, and the other was a dark match on December 23rd, 2015. So if there is a King of Gate pairing that we need, it is KZ versus Ishida, because I thought their chemistry was next level. Yeah, it just was a really fun 10-minute match. And it was something that after all the stuff before it, I kind of really needed that in a way. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> you know, that really tapped me in the way I need it to. Real quick, I know we're going long, but I just pulled up this 12-23-2015 card. And I, I, we've, we've done this game before where I present a match to you from a prior era of Dragon Gate. And I will let you react as such. You want to hear the semi-main event of this show? Oh, absolutely. Akira Tozawa and T-Hawk versus Shima and L. Lindemann. Boy, that would have been an interesting match to lay out backstage. <laughs> a lot going on there, isn't there? A whole lot going on back. <laughs> also, you know, the, the the match before this, Don Fuji and Yoshino versus Shimizu and Dragon Kid. I don't know of a, a time that Yoshino and Fuji have ever teamed two-on-two two like that before. Yeah, because they didn't really team up much in Blood Generation either. Wow, release the fan cams. Release the tapes. This is this is a show that I'd like to see. Now, that is a... I don't want the fan, fan cam to be in that... Yoshino the the Yoshino Fuji corner because I want to hear about like what they're talking about before the match. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is a very uh very interesting looking card. I'm glad I clicked on that. But yes, uh, th this I, I, you like the six man far more than I did. I went three and a quarter on it. But th this Minora Ishida Doi trio. I think they're going to have numerous great matches this year. I think there is going to be a great. Uh, Hot Boys versus Natural Vibes trios match down the line. For me, this just wasn't it. I, I mean, you have Horiguchi in this match, which as much as we love Ginky Horiguchi, if you're going to put your three top members of Natural Vibes in there, he's not on the list. He, he He's way down there. So, no, I, I think you're right about that. Very much so. Before that, we had the Open the Brave Gate number one contendership five-way match. This was all of Dragon Gate Future 2021, and it with the exception of Soya Sato, because he, there's no way he, you could even pass him off as being under 83 kilograms. It was Takuma Fujiwara coming out ahead. He defeated Ishinahashi for the final fall. But before that, Riki, Ahashi, Ryufuda, and Takumi Hayakawa were eliminated as well. And this was a match case that uh, it's very clear where Fujiwara is in comparison to like the Ahashi brothers and Fuda in a lot of ways. And that's kind of what came off to me. I was like, oh, yeah. Some of these guys are still kind of figuring it out or they're ready for their next step. Uh, Takuma Fujiwara is already there and he's 20 years old. And just turned 20. It's not, it's, it, he's not turning 21 anytime soon. He just turned 20 February 4th of this year, which is absolutely horrifying to think about. And it looked like he's grown since the last, each week it looks like he's grown more and put on more muscle too. Yeah, man, they, they, they really have something with him. And I, the the way they laid out this match, and I, I went through this pretty carefully in my Voices of Wrestling review, you know, is pinfall submission or over the top rope. So they have the Ahashi brothers knock out Hayakawa. So you're left with Ishin, Ricky, and Fuda, and Fujiwara. And you see Ricky and Fuda go over the top rope by way of Fujiwara. And then you have Ishin pinned by Fujiwara. And they... I, 
God, the way they did this was so smart. Where Fujiwara clearly looked like the leader of his peer group, but still maintained rookie status by using the over-the-top rope eliminations. And mind you, one with a roll-up. We don't know what his finisher is. These guys still don't have entrance music. And I'm so curious to see if at Champion Gate he gets entrance music. I'm really hoping he comes out with a new song, possibly new gear and a new big move in that Brave Gate match. But the way they laid this out was just so smart. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, he just got new gear. So I don't think... We, he's going to get maybe he gets like a jacket maybe he gets an entrance jacket i would, uh, I would love that raven would love that as well yeah he just needs to get himself a nice jacket there uh it it's something where i'm at a point like we talked about this with the hashi brothers we're ready to see the next step with him fuda's figuring it out and hayakawa is what he is it, it fujiwara is ready to step out from the, the future roster like we've seen this now from him and it's gonna be fascinating because he is significantly bigger than Daya, so that's going to be a really kind of fun thing to see. And, and that's actually probably one of the things that piques my interest the most about this match, other than I think it's going to roll because Dragon Daya has become the most compelling babyface in all of wrestling in the period of a month, and uh, Takuma Fujiwara is 20 years old and blowing my mind, is the idea that Fujiwara is the bigger guy in this match with Daya, and he really hasn't had a whole lot of that so far. Yeah, I am hoping, again, given this frail 20-year-old's body, that he is going to be able to base for Dragon Daya, and that together they're just going to be able to have the dumbest match full of cool spots possible. That's that's really what I'm looking for here. We know Fujiwara is going to score a ton of near falls. He's going to roll up Daya like crazy, and then we're going to get some finish with Dragon Daya hitting his 450, and we're going to move on from there. It It could be the match of the weekend pretty easily and it's a loaded champion gate i i we have to figure out our recording schedule next because of corkin and then champion game there's a ton of stuff coming up i am ecstatic about the four title matches that we have and i'm possibly most excited about fujiwara versus daya just because of the endless possibilities of what that match could look like yeah because i feel like we get a sense of the other three matches like we know what kai and shimizu is probably going to look like uh we don't know the kind of shenanigans we might have in the twin gate match with zebrats and you know we we had a preview kind of of the triangle gate match and we know it's you know we, we kind of know our expectations no idea what this could be with fujiwara and diet and that's fascinating with me that that i am riveted with the idea of what this match could be like you know like are we going to get to see like that slingshot double stomp seems to be like a big move there for fujiwara is that going to be his his moment of doubt like deep two count or is he going to like suddenly like pull off like a crazy Michinoku driver. That's, that's the thing. We, we, we need to see what that next big move is. Now, do you remember anybody in wrestling history, and you would know more than me, that has done that slingshot foot stomp the way he does it? No. Uh, we talked about this guy earlier, but... Uh, Gao Xingxia did like the crazy one, but that was completely yeah. different. Yeah, no, that was that was actually next level. That move is still mind blowing. But I don't know of anybody that's ever done that slingshot double stomp the way Fujiwara does it, and it's crazy because he's a pretty lanky guy. Like, you know, he's he's bigger than most of this roster. He stands at only five six, which is crazy because he comes across so much bigger on this roster. That's a crazy move. That is a really, uh, to me, an impressive feat of athleticism when he does that. I pop for it every time I see it. Oh, yeah. No, it's sick as hell. And I'm really stoked to see it. And, you know, I mean, 
putting him and Daya, you know, I mean, two guys under the age of 25, semi-main eventing. And then, I mean, Daya, this is going to be the real Daya draw test this next weekend. More so than, you know, Shimizu versus Kai, because he's semi-main eventing both shows. That is true. I had not I had not put that together. That is that is very true. He is semi-main eventing both of those shows. I think he's going to be in two great matches. And uh, again, I'm really curious to see that number because with the direction that Drangate has gone, these should be the next stars. The, these shows should draw well. And if they don't, again, given what we've seen, especially with SB Kento, I tend to believe that it's going to be the, the non-card announcements that are going to hurt this show. But we're two weeks out and we have the featured matches. So I don't know what to think. I really hope these shows do well at the box office because I think these are going to be great shows. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Uh, match four was the entire complement of high-end. Benkei, Dragon Kid, Kakatora, Kesuke, Akuda, and Yamato versus the veterans. Don Fuji, Masaki Mochizuki, Shuji Kondo, Ultimo Dragon, Yazushi Kanda. It was the Kaganui from Kakatora on Kanda and the touch football match of the night. See, I really like this because we had come off of a stretch of, you know, an opening match that I thought was good, but went 15 minutes, so it felt a little long. We had the team roll up or shut up match, which was a nothing match. And then we had what we'll talk about in just a second, that really weird Diamante and SB Kento versus Tamanaga and Maria match. So this show started very slow. It just, you know, you were feeling every minute of this show by the time we had got to high end versus the legends. And then Ben K and Shuji Kondo came in the ring and started hitting each other. And I was like, all right, I'm back in. This is Memorial Game of Wakiyama, baby. Let's get into it. I, I really liked this match. I thought it had a great beginning with, again, uh, Ben K and Kondo. Kondo, really good year so far, both in Drangi and in DDT. And then I thought we had a super hot finishing stretch here. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, Benke and Kondo were the highlights of this match. Like, And it's something that like with Kondo being around intermittently and being hurt a lot, with the Achilles and we haven't been able to see a whole lot. And I know we had our misconceptions about Kondo coming in in 2020. We're like, Oh yeah, the uh, unleashed King Kong, you know, the delinquent King Kong's here. And suddenly everything's going to change. And in that, and now he, it seems like he's happy to be there, but being able to get like the bursts of like 2004, Shushi Kondo, it, especially against someone like Ben K who is completely different from anyone he would have take, he would face in his original run. It's been a whole lot of fun here. High end is just. I hate high end case. I really <laughs> fucking hate high end. <laughs> I just have no time for them as a group. I don't get, like, other than, like, this is Yamato's unit, and I think some of that comes down to Yamato in a way. I just, like, we have five guys in this unit that I do like to various degrees. I love Dragon Kid. Kagator, when you give him something to sink his teeth into, he could be one of the 50 best wrestlers in the world. Okuda, when you're he's doing a Okuda match with someone who wants to have an Okuda match, is great. Benkei is incredibly dynamic and special, and Yamato is the ace of the company. Just them all together just kind of just drains me. Just I'm over. <laughs> like I know they're and they're coming up on their one year anniversary. I'm like, can Zebrats gain it? Get, can, can they uh, get their first notch on their belt and just take care of this for me? Do it for your old pal, uh, SB Kento. Just wipe out these scrubs for me. Yeah, I mean, look, it, you know, if the April Corkin show rolls around and we're doing unit disband Zebrats versus high end, I'm I'm going to be very excited at the possibilities of that because you're exactly right. You know, it, I maybe maybe this is just my read of it. Maybe this is uh, somebody not living in Japan watching this promotion. 
But boy, do I feel like the future class is a much more vital part of this promotion right now. And obviously not in terms of popularity, but just in terms of being on the card and the energy they bring. The future kids all seem so much more impactful to these shows than high end. Natural Vibes is crushing it. They just had an entire weekend built throughout them in Fukuoka. You have Zebrats, who I love the presentation of, and I think they've been very good so far. You have the Doi Ashida Minora stuff, which is clicking with me. I think it's a great story. They are a vital part of every show. You have the rookies and the legends who are doing their thing. And then off on their own island is high end. And this is what I talked about, you know, four or five months ago when I broke down and talked about how much I hated high end. They it's they just don't fit in right now it's so weird and i don't think it's an age thing with you know yamato and kagatora and dragon kid especially being of a different generation i just think they're boring they have no natural rivals other than yamato versus kai which is played out and we've seen that and it's not like that was anything great they just exist and they're stars but they're stars in a vacuum so who cares and and i was flipping through my notes because I completely co-sign what you're saying. Yamato has opened more cards this year than main evented cards. Which I think is purposeful given that he lost the Dreamgate belt at the end of Final Gate. And, and I'm quite frankly very much okay with that. I, I We don't need Yamato headlining more shows. That's not going to fix High End's problem. Do I wish that, you know, Ben and Akuda and Dragon Kid had a rival that they could point to and that they could carry a feud for a few months i do do i wish yamato had a, you know seemingly a long-term rival that wasn't kai yeah i do but the reality is we're not but i would rather have yamato opening shows at this point than closing shows yeah and it's something that i mean yamato also has the stuff with the gherkin mask going on ryukyu dragon you know, I mean, that's been like the big focus of everything in Tokyo. So like he's out of the he, he's out from like up front right now, which is fine. But I'm just kind of like, I don't even know how you fix this because this is a small unit. You don't like add Fuda in here and that's going to change anything. You know, like it's just not, not not with the current lineup. Do Would I be interested in Yamato, Ben, Akuda and Fuda together as you know, the Pancrase invasion of Dragon Gate? Yeah, I'd be pretty into that. <laughs> I actually think that'd be incredibly interesting because I like when Yamato goes to the mat. We we saw that last year with that Yamato versus Akuda King of Gate match that I thought was one of the best matches in Dragon Gate this past year because it was a, an interesting side of Yamato. It wasn't main event Yamato. It was this throwback to an era that he doesn't really visit anymore. There, there, There's an avenue for all of these guys to be entertaining, but they just don't, feel like a like you know what i mean like they don't feel like they're a part of the promotion they're just off in their own little universe yeah and it it's not dissimilar to try vanguard but try vanguard he had parts that were a whole lot of fun together though because you you ended with the ut maria kagatora trio but even that was towards the end of that run you had flamita who i was probably just given my thoughts on flamita i was probably a little more into him and try vanguard than you were but we, you still had that issue, and that was, you know, during Yamato's Dreamgate run that I hated with a passion. And I, I, I like Yamato, but, I, you know, at time, there are times where I don't. Right now, I don't like Yamato. I just, I find him to be very boring again. It's just exhausting. He's a very exhausting presence. Where, like, because, like, at the tail end of Tribe Vanguard, he was doing all that tag stuff with Hulk and 
Kai, that was great. Like that was fun tag teams. And the Yamato the Yamato Hulk Twingate run was very fun. You're right. That's that's true. And I, I should give Tribe Vanguard credit for that as well. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think I'm more down on Tribe than you are, but I love that tag team run. Oh god, yeah, what a, what an awful unit. Ugh, my it, god. Yeah. <laughs> ugh, uh, gross. Ugh. Absolutely gross. For a palate cleanser case, how about some punch tomanaga? Because match three was Yosuke Samurai and Punch Tomonaga versus SB Kento and Diamante. SB Kento basically went kick in the stomach, SB shooter on Yosuke Samaria, lost in 34 seconds. Uh Hyo took the mic immediately and set up that that semi-main event between him and Aita. This was just promoting the Hyo and Aita match, basically. This was weird, wasn't it? Like, I understand the purpose this served, but this was still weird. Oh, yeah, no. It was something that, like, it felt like, oh, we have all these people here, but we need to do this other match. And when you have, like, Espy Kento and Diamante, like, left adrift in this, like, Yosuke Samurai and Punch Tomonaka case, we expect that out of those two to be, like, in these throwaway matches here, but not SBK and Diamante. Yeah, I really wish they would have had a Wakayama Tornado match with SB Kento, Hio, and Diamante against whoever. And I think that would have helped the card a lot. Yeah, I mean, you could have... I, I mean, you look at also at, like, the other three members of Zebrats in the opener. You could have made, like, a strong Zebrats team there, and you could have Zebrats win against the Unnatural Vibes team, you know, and then you would have been able to... Or if you want to further build up the International House of Hot Boys, have the Hot Boys, and they take two falls straight. You know what I mean? Like, you could have done this instead of having a very exhausting three-hour show. Yeah, this was a, this was just a poorly constructed card, because like I said earlier, the first 45 minutes of this show felt like 45 minutes. I guess, I guess it wasn't even that long. It was the 15-minute opener, the five-minute... Uh, Yoshida match and the 32nd Diamante SB Kento match but man that it just this show took a long time to get going and it's not like the back half of it was otherworldly so it was just a slog of a show to get through yeah yeah and that leads us to that uh, Yoshida match he teamed with Hoho Loon so roll up or shut up has reunited yet again they're gonna go on a twin gate tear just just wait they beat Strong Machine J and Satyoko Boy in three minutes with a release cyber bomb from Yoshida. I'm really bummed that Ultimo Dragon's going to be in the States uh, starting this weekend and Hoho Loon is already back in Japan. I would have liked to have seen those two run roughshod through the U.S. indie scene, but uh, that will not be happening. I, t- team Roll Up <laughs> or Shut Up, you know, I-, I look at the MLW All Japan relationship now and how, you know, they've got the the Saito brothers who... God bless them. I hope it works out. But in another universe, MLW is booking the Ahashi brothers right now. And we know Court Bauer loves nostalgia, loves 80s wrestling. If the Dragon Gate partnership was still alive and well, we could have Yoshida and Hoho Loon coming out to Road Warrior-like pops with Team Roll-Up or Shut-Up, but it's just not meant to be. I mean, Yoshida still probably has his, his pads. Like, give a pair of them to Loon, and you're good to go. <laughs> I would I would really like to see that. But uh I, look, it, you know, you get Ho Ho Loon and Sachi Hoko Boy on the card. I'm not complaining. This was a fine match. Yeah, th- I mean, th- this was fine. L- like this was like if they had one of these matches on the show it would have been fine, but then you followed it up with another inconsequential match and that's, you know, getting us the bad vibes for the first 40 minutes, 45 minutes. The opener we've alluded to, Natural Vibes, Susumi Yokosuka, Big Boss Shimizu and UT went to a time limit draw with Zebrats, Kai, BB Hulk and Shun Skywalker. I like the, the like the frustrating thing about this build is 
it's clear that Shimizu and Kai have the chemistry, but it's just like this match I thought was fine overall. Like I went three on it, but it just really like we got to see like UT and Hulk grapple, which was a bizarre delight for me, <laughs> but it just kind of was there. Yeah, it was, you know, it was Memorial Gate. It was there. And that was Open the Voice Gate for this week. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, we'll be back sometime next week. We got to figure this all out. Like, it, it, it's Case wasn't joking when he said, like, oh, Mike's been talking about this for a while. I have a whiteboard with, like, both AEW and Dragon Gate schedules on there that I change around each month. And I've been looking at this week. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is happening. This is happening. So- so let's do on-air production meeting as we close out here. So there's a Kobe show this Sunday. Right. So we got to talk about Kobe. And then we'll pencil in with an asterisk because it could be changed. We might do some more Kness content. Mm-hmm. We will That's- be doing more Kness content. It might be coming. It will be- I can yeah, promise. We'll, we'll we'll- do that. Yeah, we'll do that in March. Yes. Yeah. So I, I I've been re- I've been talking to people. We're, we're going to have a, at least one really fun Kness episode. <laughs> so, some out. heavy hitters in the Kness fan club. <laughs> right. Yes. Perhaps so, maybe even the president of the Kness fan club. Yeah, very, very much so. The president of the the Windows Unit fan club as well. Uh, so we got the Kobe show. We'll do something else to talk about that there, and then Corkin is Thursday. Champion Gate is Saturday and Sunday. We'll just yeah, it, we'll we'll be back on normal schedule because we'll just do a loaded episode of Cork and champion gate two weeks from now, but we'll do Kobe and something else this upcoming Tuesday. That works for me. Yeah. Great. I, Hey, and open the voice gate listeners. This is, you know, you guys, you guys listen for two hours. You end up getting an on-air production meeting. Hey, it, it, it could have been in the DMS. We do it live instead. <laughs> That's all I've got, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I did find one thing that I know that I, I would doubt that he would hear this, but this would very much amuse him. Uh, do you know who uh, Big Boss Shimizu's first wrestling match was that he watched? Oh, I'm sure it was Kevin Nash and Scott Hall against somebody. It was at age four. It was with Sting. <laughs> I knew so that he was gonna, a little singer. Are you going to cover Big Boss Shimizu for the This Is Sting series? You know... I mean, I, I got another eleven Sting matches to go to. We're already we're already at over two hours of Sting content. We're, it's we're funny. Probably... Was it? I, I don't remember if it was you or Aaron that. Oh, no, I think Aaron sent out a tweet of like, "What's everybody's favorite Sting match?" And I went to reply to it, and then I thought, you know what? I have no idea. I have seen Sting wrestle hundreds of matches, and I I genuinely don't know where to begin when it comes to what his best match is because they're all kind of like just four stars like i i don't know how to answer this question and so i deleted the tweet hey clash one was an excellent match class that's true that's true yeah yeah no i i've been enjoying that series but that's you can find that on the e patreon but anyways uh that's gonna do it for us this week you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate I'm at Fujiheya. Cases that underscore in your case. Thanks for listening to Open Voice Gate. We'll be back with you on Tuesday talking about they're at the Kobe Art Center for the first time. So that'll be fun. But that'll do it for us. Take care. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast.
Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.